1972, a movie came out that I really enjoyed. I remember this because that's the year I graduated from high school. And it was this great action-adventure film, or at least it was for that day and time. But here's what I liked the most. In this movie, the preacher turned out to be the hero. That's a rare thing. You just got to understand through the years, Hollywood's never been nice to preachers. Anytime they put a preacher up on the big screen, they tend to present him as some kind of a wimp or some kind of idiot or fool, somebody who's not in touch with the reality. I mean, through the years, Hollywood just never portrayed preachers in a good light. But in this movie, Gene Hackman plays the role of the preacher. You remember the, the coach in the movie Hoosiers? Rough, tough, daring, adventurous, not afraid to take a risk, not afraid to go against the crowd. Well, the same kind of role that he played in Hoosiers, he plays in this movie as well. And it's his character that ends up saving the day. It's the preacher who turns out to be the hero. Yay! Finally, yay! The movie's called The Poseidon Adventure, and I know most of you have probably never seen it. I mean, hey, this is 44 years ago, 1972, the year New Hope got started. And some of you are thinking, man, David, I wasn't even born yet. I have no clue what you're talking about. And, and I get that. I understand. So let me just give you a real quick synopsis of what this movie's all about and why I'm talking about it, because I believe that story will help us better understand this scripture we're going to study today in 2 Peter chapter 2. The movie, The Poseidon Adventure, is all about this ship, this giant luxury ship, an ocean liner, what we today would call a cruise ship, the SS Poseidon. And it's getting ready to take its last trip. They're traveling from New York City to Athens, Greece. Well, everything seems to be going fine when all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a disaster strikes. It's New Year's Eve. They're out here in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, everybody on the ship is engaged in this giant party. They're getting ready to bring in the New Year. So everybody's having fun, and they're oblivious to what's going on outside when suddenly there's this undersea earthquake. And because of that earthquake, it creates this giant wave, this huge wall of water that is coming their way at about 60 miles an hour, and it's too late for the ship to get out of the way. So this giant wave, this rogue wave, hits the ship and just flips it completely over. Now all the passengers of the crew are trapped inside. Now, fortunately, because of all the air that is trapped inside, even though the boat's upside down, it can still float like this for quite a while. But inside, all the passengers are in a state of panic. Here are the men dressed in their tuxes and the women wearing their formal evening gowns, and they're just screaming and going crazy because they're desperate to find a way of escape. And in this state of confusion, everybody starts running the wrong way. Everybody starts climbing the stairs to try to get to the top deck because they're thinking to themselves, we can just get to the top of the ship. Maybe some plane will come along and spot us and, and help save our lives. But the problem is with the ship now turned over, the top of the boat is now 100 feet underwater, so they're actually running the wrong way. They're running to the very place where they're going to end up drowning. And it's Frank Scott, the preacher, a.k.a. Gene Hackman, who realizes with everything turned around, what seems up is actually down. And if we want to have a chance to survive, we've got to move in the opposite way of what our common sense is telling us. We've got to run to the bottom of the ship if we want to have a chance to live. And yet only a few are willing to listen to him. Only a few follow his lead. So here you have the crowd, the majority of the passengers. They're running one way, rushing to their doom, and they don't even realize it. And it's the preacher and just a few of the passengers who have the wisdom to see, no, we need to move the opposite direction. So by the time you get to the end of the movie, it's just the preacher and six of the passengers who end up living, and everybody else perishes in the disaster. Now, the reason why I'm talking about that movie is because right now we are living in a world that is turned upside down. Because of our sin, our morals, our sense of values are all mixed up. I mean, you can just point to one example after another where people are taking that which is evil and now promoting it as something good. 
and those who dare to speak up and talk about the truth, those who try to stand up for what, what is right are being mocked and ridiculed. And so we're the crazy ones. We're the ones who are out of touch with the times. And with so many people going the wrong way and so few going the right way, when you do choose to go the right way, sometimes you wonder to yourself, man, look at everybody going that way. And only a few go, am I doing the right thing? Jesus understands. He talks about this very thing. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are going that way. And because so many people are going that way, sometimes you wonder, could so many people be so wrong? Hey, maybe I'm the one that's out of touch. And Jesus says, no. no. Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And though many are going that way, understand, but small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And when he uses that word narrow, he means confining. It's not always easy to walk. The crowd goes through the wide gate. There, here are all these people walking the way that's big and easy, and we look at them and we think life seems so simple, so sweet for them, while the few who are trying to do the right thing, they have to walk a narrow path, a path that sometimes becomes so confining and so strict and so demanding. Here's the evil. It seems to be winning the day, and they, they just keep running up the score while the few who are trying to do the right thing are just taking it on the chin again and again and again. And in the midst of all this struggle, sometimes we wonder, did I pick the right side? That's exactly how the friends of Peter feel, the ones that he's writing this letter to. And he's writing to remind them, listen, it's because of sin that our world is turned upside down. Things are not the way they seem to be. What seems up is actually down. So don't be fooled. Don't follow the crowd. They're running the wrong way. They are rushing to their doom, and they don't even realize it. Even though it's not popular, keep following Jesus because he's the only one who knows how to bring us life, real life, eternal life. Let's take a look at our scripture and see what we can learn. I just want to look at two verses this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Peter says. He says, this is now the second letter I'm writing. Not just 1 Peter, 2 Peter. One letter, isn't that enough? Not just one letter, but two. And I think he probably wrote even more than this. You know, you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, and you hear the Apostle Paul tell us how, in both of those letters, that these weren't the only two letters he sent to that church there in that city of Corinth. In each of the letters, he mentions other letters he wrote to them as well. In the book of Colossians, you hear the Apostle Paul talk about how he sent this letter to the church in the city of Laodicea. There's so many letters, and you know, with all the letters that Paul wrote here in the New Testament, yet there's so many other letters that he wrote as well. I think the same thing's probably true of Peter. He's concerned about his friends who are in trouble. They're under attack from all these false teachers, and he wants to do everything he can to encourage them. So he writes, and he writes, and he writes. But here's what bugs us. Every time he writes, he keeps talking about the same stuff. He just keeps saying the same things over and over again. And we think, why all the repetition? I mean, don't you hate it when you have to eat the same food or wear the same clothes day after day after day? Don't you hate it when the preacher just keeps saying the same things over and over again? That kind of repetition gets so dull, so boring. And yet, yet, if we don't have those reminders, those constant reminders, don't we frequently get ourselves in some silly and embarrassing situations? Have you ever done this? I have. You ever pulled up to the drive-thru at a Chick-fil-A on a Sunday afternoon and wonder why they're not taking your order? You sit there and, why isn't anybody talking to me? And then you pull up to the window and you think, why is it dark inside? Where is everybody? And then it hits you. Sunday. Yeah, every other restaurant in town is open today, but not Chick-fil-A. And at that moment, you feel so silly. And at that moment, you're hoping and praying that nobody else sees you sitting there because you feel like such an idiot. 
See, we live most of our life on autopilot. Most of what we do, we just do it automatically without even thinking. And because we don't take the time to think, sometimes we get ourselves in places where we shouldn't be. That's why we need others constantly watching out for us, constantly checking on us, constantly bringing reminders our way. You ever go to a big league baseball game? Say you're up at Wrigley Field and you're watching the Cardinals play the Cubs. And what happens when that runner gets on base? There's a first base coach standing right there at his side. And he starts talking to him. What's he talking about? He's reminding him, hey, two outs. Just run if he hits the ball. Just run. Or watch out for that pitcher. He's got a great pickoff move. You know, be alert. You, you think about this. He's talking to a professional ball player, a major leaguer. This guy's been playing the game ever since he was this high. He knows this game inside and out. Does he really need those reminders? Oh, yeah. How many times have you seen the pros make some kind of foolish move, make some kind of silly out where they end up costing their team the game because they forgot where they were and what was going on around them at that point in the game? Even the pros need constant reminders. Or you think about a pilot. Now, every time before that plane takes off, he sits there with his co-pilot, and they'll go over this lengthy checklist. I mean, hey, they've done this a million times before, but they do it again because they want to make sure everything's working right. That pilot realizes once he's 30,000 feet in the air, if something goes wrong, it's not just going to be him. It's going to be 150 other passengers going down with him, and he doesn't want that to happen. So he's not about to take anything for granted. So before every flight, he goes over that list again. Check, check, check. This is why the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, Forsake not the assembly of the saints, meaning don't miss being together with your church on a Sunday morning. You need that regular checkup. You need that opportunity to pull away from the lies of the world, the lies that this world has been feeding your mind all week long. You need this opportunity for you to get around your brothers and sisters in Christ so they can remind you this is what is right, not that. This is what is true, not that. Here's the way it's really supposed to be. Don't let the world pick you off and throw you out. Don't let the world talk you into doing something foolish because you didn't have the right people speaking. And you're stay in touch with the truth. So Peter didn't just write one letter. He writes two, and I think he probably wrote a whole lot more. And every time he writes, he just keeps reminding them, here's where you are. Here's where you're supposed to be going. And don't let the world around you get you off track. Now, notice not only what he says, but notice how he says this. Peter says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, my beloved. Be real easy to skip over that word, not even think about it. But he uses that expression three different times. Verse 1, verse 8, verse 17. You see, here's, here are the emotions, the feelings that's motivating what he's saying. He's not talking to strangers. He's talking to his friends, his dear friends, people that he's known for years. This is one of the reasons why the people who are receiving this letter, they don't mind Peter saying the same things over and over again because he's their best friend. I mean, through the years, he's proven his wisdom. Through the years, he's proven that he's always got their best interests at heart. So when he talks, they listen because they know the heart from which these words are coming. So Peter says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, my beloved. And in both letters, the aim, the goal has always been the same. I want to stir up. I want to keep the memories fresh. I want to keep the truth front and center in your mind. I want to make sure at all times and all situations, you are paying attention to the right things. And his ultimate goal is this, I want to stir up the memories so you can have the right kind of mind, a sincere mind. That word sincere means pure, good, wholesome, a mind that thinks straight, a mind that sees things right, the right way. And Peter says, in order to create that kind of mind, he says, i got to keep reminding. I'm just going to keep talking, keep teaching, keep encouraging. I'm just going to keep reminding you what really matters, what's really important in the eyes of God. And what's the source of all this wisdom? 
everything he's writing here in 1 Peter and 2 Peter, where's this all? None of this is original to him. I mean, he didn't just think this up on his own. No, the source of his wisdom, verse 2, comes right out of the Bible. Everything he says, based on this book. You notice, he says, everything I'm saying here, I'm saying it so you can recall and remember the predictions of the holy prophets. Now, the word predictions, that's probably not the best translation because it literally says the words that were spoken in the past through the prophets, everything we got there in the Old Testament. And then in addition to that treasure, he says, and the commandment. And though it's written in the singular, what you really have here is a collective now. It means the sum of everything Jesus said and taught. All that the Lord and Savior gave through the apostles. He gave to us. How did he do it? Through the New Testament. In other words, you want to make sure you don't get fooled by the crowd. You want to make sure you're not running the wrong way. You want to make sure you don't get tricked and deceived by all these false teachers. Open up this book and on a daily basis invite God to speak to your heart. What do we learn from all this? If I could take verses 1 and 2 and sum it up, I would illustrate it like this. I think the human heart is like a loaf of bread. You bake the bread, and yet if you don't wrap that bread up in some, uh, some kind of a wrapping like a cellophane bag, you just set the bread on the counter, what's going to happen? Soon it becomes stiff and stale. In order for the bread to remain soft and usable and something worthwhile, it needs an outside influence. It needs a wrapping of some kind, something that's going to surround it and keep it fresh. What's true for the bread is also true for every one of our hearts. You see, before I can be a disciple who makes disciples, I need other people discipling me. I need other brothers and sisters in Christ who are constantly checking on me, constantly surrounding my heart with words of encouragement and words of wisdom and words of insight that's going to help keep the truth of God's word fresh in my life. See, on our own, all by ourselves, we forget things. We lose perspective. We get off track. It's only as we work together and pray together and study together. It's only as we stand together as a church that our faith in God remains strong. So here's the question you've got to ask yourself. Are you a part of a group? A smaller church and the bigger church where other people really know who you are and what's going on in your life. A smaller group that's watching out for you and constantly remind you, here's what's true and pure and good and wholesome. Think about these things. Not that. Think about this. Keep your mind fixed upon God, on who He is and what He's done and what He's promised to do for us. Keep your mind fixed upon God. Do you have a group that's doing that for you? You see, it's only as we stand together as a church that we can resist the lies of the false teachers. It's only as we stand together as Christians that we can resist the pressure of the crowd and make sure this heart is still pointed in the right direction. Let's pray.